SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. cruising for chicks and going to the game on Friday nights then forgetting where you parked it till Saturday morning and you had to get your buddy to drive you around looking for it. I think I see it, man. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Hour two on a Friday for pushing the odds here on Sirius XM Show 204 for Sports Grid Radio. What's up? Matt Peralt with you. Coming up here, we're going to talk to Andrew McInnes. If you guys have listened to Gabe Morenci, you probably have heard Andrew McInnes on his show and he's a Canadian fan he's a handicapper he's a pro sports gambler and him and I've been having a lot of fun on Twitter going back and forth about the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens and look I will give you this and we will talk to Andrew about this coming up is that I am a Boston Bruins fan born and bred so my hatred of the Canadiens runs pretty deep and pretty much my entire adult life like they're just the Yankees and I'll give you that my hockey mm, fandom is not as rabid as it has been with other sports from New England. I'm a bigger Red Sox fan, bigger Patriots fan, bigger Celtics fan. The Bruins are definitely number four, but I'm, you know, I definitely watch the Bruins and pay attention. And the Vegas Golden Knights, having it in my backyard, has been incredible. And I was pretty harsh on the entire setup for Vegas. I was pretty harsh on the way they chose their team name. I was pretty harsh as to how they were approaching a lot of the early business side of things. And then on the ice, they did everything right. They drafted incredibly well. They were insane in roster building. They were great with their first head coach in in, in Gallant and what he did while he was here, taking them to the cup finals. In the wake of the October 1 shooting, I think a lot of people who aren't from Vegas or in who have lived in Vegas during that period of time, they don't really understand that Vegas, the love of the Golden Knights, it's beyond hockey. A lot of people just, oh, you're just this new come lately type of team and you're all fair weather and you go there, you know, on dates. This is something Andrew and I would discuss. He thinks that people go to Vegas Golden Night games when they're on dates and that's it. And that's just not really fair because the fan base here in the wake of the October 1 shooting and the worst mass killing in U.S. history, the first event that we had in Vegas after that horrific night was a Vegas Golden Knights home game in which they scored three goals in the first period, and the city was moved. I mean, I was moved. It, I was in tears in that first period because of what we had all gone through, the horrific nature of, of just trying to comprehend what had happened to our city because no one really thought that was going to happen in Vegas. And the Golden Knights became the thing that everyone could talk about. It let us heal. I mean, I don't think that's crazy to say that, 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 the, West, that, that the, you know, the western part of the country 
you know, we, we get looked at in, in, in different ways when it comes to hockey because it's 118 degrees today. And I get it. It's like, okay, you guys don't really like hockey. You can't play hockey outside. You didn't grow up playing pond hockey. You can't throw the skates on. I can tell you that the hockey community here in Vegas is really, really rabid. And, and, and I'll say this, I think in probably 10 years, there's going to be at least one or two kids drafted who grew up playing youth hockey in the Vegas Golden Knights system with youth hockey. I mean, if you guys could go see the practice facility, when you walk in there, all these, you know, small might leagues, all, all, all these peewee leagues, they all have Vegas Golden Knights logos on their jerseys. All of them. It's wild. It, I've never seen anything like it. When I was growing up with the Bruins, they never did anything like that, where they were really trying to cultivate youth hockey because, frankly, they didn't have to. It was already there. I mean, it's been going on for generations when it comes to hockey. So this is a sport that really has become a thing here in Vegas. And I know Montreal's got this incredible history and all the banners. Oh, my gosh, the banners and the Bell Center. And okay, fine. You can have that. No one's trying to take that away from Montreal. No one's trying to contend with Montreal. No one's trying to say that Vegas is anywhere near Montreal. But what we are saying is that when it comes to this series, Montreal feels like they're going to win simply because they're Montreal. And they can't get over the fact that the sports books keep on favoring Vegas dramatically. And I think tonight... Just like last night with Tampa and the New York Islanders, the Islanders won a game in Tampa, and everybody was like, oh my gosh, here come the Islanders, right? Well, Montreal wins game two. If Vegas wins game three, well, guess what? It's 2-1. The odds will shift even more dramatically in the favor of Vegas. And I'm not buying this idea that Marc-Andre Fleury because he's going back home to Montreal, that Marc-Andre Fleury is going to cower at the sight of the laundry hanging in the rafters. And oh my gosh, everyone's going to be so afraid of 3,000 people in the stands. 3,000. Come on now, guys. This is 3,000 Canadian fans will sound like 30. Give me a break, okay? Vegas is going to an arena that's going to feel a whole lot like how things did four months ago here in this country. We are well ahead of where Canada is in terms of attendance and opening back up. It's just a fact as to where we are. And I don't think Vegas will be intimidated tonight. And if Vegas loses, it won't be because of 3,000 Montreal Canadian fans. I'm sorry. I do understand I said Vegas would not lose a home game. And they did. I was wrong. I will own that. I will not... And I do not think Vegas will lose this series. I do think Vegas wins. I said Vegas in six. I'm holding to Vegas in six. I still think they do it. If they win tonight and they win tomorrow, they're up three games to one. They come home for game five and they win, or, or I guess not tomorrow, but they win tonight and then win game four. They're up and they're going to close it out. I don't think that will happen. I think they probably split here in Montreal, but... I could see Vegas winning both games pretty easily. We'll know in the first 10 minutes what this game will look like, what this series, pivotal game three, what it may look like coming up here tonight in Montreal. Should be a lot of fun. Andrew McKinnis will join us at 40 past. We've got more to come. Our four big stories hit you on the other side. It's pushing the odds on a Friday. Coming to you 24 hours a day. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
okay, so we were just talking about this. I can't talk UFC because we were just talking about this during the break. I, I got to bring this up because this is Brendan just made brought this to my attention. So a guy named Lee, Lee Sanderlin, who is a investigative journalist in for the Clarion Ledger in Jackson, Mississippi, has been forced to go to his local Waffle House, which is what I call Awful House, to spend 24 hours there because he came in last place in his fantasy football league. He says, I spend 24 hours in this Waffle House. For every waffle I eat, it shaves an hour off the clock. It's 4 p.m. Yeah, I guess he did it yesterday, 4 p.m. Is he gone? I mean, I can easily drill 10 waffles in two hours. Easy. I don't know. This doesn't seem like that big of a punishment. So you have to eat 24 waffles in... You know, in every every waffle you eat, it knocks off a time. Now, for me, to be quite honest, I wouldn't be all that angry. I would get a book, I'd get a cup of coffee, and I would just go and, you know, eat waffles, hang out. you got to eat three meals there, at least, if you're hanging out for a day. This is a honest question, Brendan. Is this, is this a real punishment to you? Yes. See, oh, I, I don't think you, so. I think I could do 15. Like, I think I could do quite a few. But I don't think I'd be – like, I, I think you're feeling pretty miserable on 15 to 20 waffles in, in that amount of time. Yeah, but, I mean, over five hours, and then you're walking out. You go in there at 4 o'clock, you down 24 waffles, and sure, you're going to have stomach pain and problems. And, you know, it's not going to be great, but I'm not in love with it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get myself out of there. I do, like, I do think it's a punishment, but I also think, like – I think it is a bigger punishment to some people. Like, you said 20, no problem. But I've heard other people say five or six. What? Over the course of a day? Yeah. You have to eat three meals. I think this guy only did six, didn't he? Oh, that's pathetic. That's pathetic. I, 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 love the I eat he did three. Six. I eat three myself when I'm making waffles for my daughter. I'll knock down three waffles. And these aren't, like, these are Waffle House waffles. These aren't gigantic waffles. These are normal-sized waffles. Now, this is not hard to do. Again, you want to stick me somewhere and force me to be somewhere for 24 hours? I don't want to be in an awful house, but I'll, I mean, give me, their coffee's fine. I wouldn't want to be sober there, but fine. I mean, if I, if I walk in there, maybe I go to a bar ahead of time and knock down a couple of drinks, like, and then show up how we normally show up at Waffle House, like 2 o'clock in the morning and, you know, three sheets. That's how you eat that food. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's just the idea of having to be stuck somewhere. Is probably the worst part about it. You can't leave until you get through that because you're probably going to spend six, seven hours at least. And I don't think spending six, seven hours anywhere is all that fun, to be quite honest. But I don't, it's a very unique punishment. It's better than like shaving your head or having to do something stupid. But I mean, this story's gone viral. He spent 15 hours, I guess, is what he ended up spending. Okay, he had they, nine then. The headline is, a man spent 15 hours inside a Waffle House as punishment, and the, inter- and the internet was captivated. I, I think it's a really unique deal. It's an awesome thing to do on Twitter. It's perfect for Twitter. And he said, uh, when I ordered the seventh waffle, full crash and burn, not going to finish it. The body is in revolt, shutting down. It's time to sit out for a while. Got to rest up for the stretch, uh, rest up for, for a stretch run. Right now, I'm paced to leave at 10 a.m. Central Time. Remember, he walked in at 4 p.m. Uh, Central Time. So he was there for 15 hours. I can almost promise you I would not have been there for 15 hours. Like, the, that guy's got a small stomach or he's a small guy. Because anybody with a decent appetite should be able to drop 
you know, at least 10 waffles over the course of a day. He did nine. So he got out of it. He did nine waffles. But it's a very unique and very creative way for fantasy football. And I guarantee you, since the Internet exploded, this coming fall, we're going to see a laundry list of ideas of, like, where would you want to get stuck for 24 hours? What establishment? Oh, boy. It's a food place we're talking? Yeah, 24-hour food place. Where would you want to be stuck? Uh, Maybe a barbecue place? See, I think Buffalo Wild Wings would be fun. Uh, for, I mean, I guess for the sake of entertainment, you could yeah. I mean, you could spend 10 hours at Buffalo Wild Wings on the right day with no problem. And, like, for every pound of wings you ate, you dropped an hour. That's, that's now, a lot of food, though. <laughs> now, that is, that is the problem, right? Every pound of wings you eat knocks out an hour. We gotta get that would be hard. I don't know how many pounds. Pa- I, I could probably do four or five pounds of wings, but that's a lot. That's a different story in my mind. We start this hour with our four big stories. This is the Hard Four. It's time for the Hard Four on Pushing the Odds with Matt Peralt. All right, Doc Rivers and company coming up. He's guaranteeing a game seven. I sent you the wrong audio, Brendan, just FYI. This is from yesterday, Doc Rivers, but it's still the same thing. Game six coming up tonight. Can Atlanta close it out? Rivers thinks they're going back to Philly. No, we'll get back up. I mean, we'll, we'll be back here for game seven. I, I believe that, you know. Um, the move was down. It was awful. What, what, what would you think it would be? It would have to be, right? And so this is part of sports. You know, you, you have some awful moments. Uh, and it, uh, there's no guaranteed path to, to get into your goal. Uh, we have made this hard on ourselves. We have to own up to that, all of us. Um, and then we have to get up and be ready for the next game. And, and it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. Um, good. Uh, we'll be ready for it. I like Philly minus one and a half in the first half tonight against Atlanta. I'm not touching the second half for that team. They cannot close games. Russell Henley currently leads the U.S. Open. He's not even on the course. Four under par. Richard Bland's at three under. Louis Ousaisen's at three under as we play round two at Torrey Pines for the U.S. Open. It's a major. That means Brooks Kepka's in the conversation. After round one, he liked how he played. I mean, you can't win it today, but you can definitely lose it. So it's nice to get off to a good start, put it well. Drove well on the back nine in my front, but, um, you know, missed a couple fairways uh, there, which wasn't – I missed them on the correct side, which is what you got to do, um, depending on where the pin location is and get lucky enough where you got a decent line and get it there. So, um, you know, pretty pleased. Not not the best, but uh, I'll definitely take it. We are going to have one game seven. Could we have three? L.A. tonight tries to close out Utah. Utah favored, though. If they win, that's two game sevens. Three game sevens may happen if we see Atlanta lose to Philadelphia tonight. But we know we're getting a game seven between the Nets and the Bucks. Bucks win yesterday. Mike Budenholzer happy with the way his team came back and played well in game six, game seven in Brooklyn. This series is a little bit unique. It's just, you know, um, injuries are always a part of a series, a part of the playoffs. Um, you know, they've had guys come back healthy. Um, you know, they have guys out. It's, it's been, you know, for them, a little bit of a revolving team, a different team kind of from, you know, sometimes from night to night. Um, you know, so we just got, we've got to be ready for whoever plays in game seven. Uh, it could be a different game, could be a different group. Uh, we just got to figure out a way to, to play and compete. 
Fourth and finally, the Boston Celtics been a massive trade today. They sent Kemba Walker in a first-round pick to Oklahoma City for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and picks. Boston bringing back a player who played really well under Brad Stevens, but Brad Stevens is now the GM, not the head coach of the Boston Celtics. Could Boston hire Rick Carlisle as their next head coach? Woes on the prospects for Carlisle out there right now that he's a free agent. A marketplace right now where there are multiple openings, and Rick Carlisle is unique in that marketplace in that he has won a championship. And I think for teams who are more win now right now, this was a chance for Rick Carlisle to, to move on and ultimately I think feeling like there was an, ineb an eb inevitable end in Dallas with this group, with this era. Interesting stuff to watch there with Rick Carlisle, Boston, Washington, Portland. Some really good jobs are open right now in the NBA for Rick Carlisle after 13 years out in Dallas. Next, let's talk about the U.S. Open. Let's talk about where we are here. Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, the cut line, Xander Shoffley, and Phil getting angry with the fans who are not shutting off their cell phones. Round two talk for the U.S. Open next year. Pushing the odds. Good. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And the opening line starts now. Yeah, Phil, on your second shot on 13, I think you had to step away from the ball about three times. There were cell phones chirping all around you. And um, given where you ended up in the next shot, how much of a factor was that in, in, in the round? Yeah, it's part of the, it's like part of professional golf. You have to learn to deal with it. I, um, I don't understand why you just can't turn that little button on the side, but uh, in the silent, but it, uh, I probably didn't deal with it, you know, internally as well as I could have, or, or as well as I need to. I mean, it's part of playing playing the game out here at this level, and um, certainly I um, I didn't do the best job of dealing with it. I feel for him because at Augusta, when you go to Augusta National, they take your cell phone. Like you can't have a cell phone on the course. They make you store it. When you walk through the gates, you have to take your phone and literally put it into a little bin for you, and they give you a little ticket like a like they give it to you for your for your coat at like a restaurant. That's what Augusta National does for your cell phone. Not every course wants to do that, and every course is set up to do that, but come on, like that's not that crazy of a thing to ask for if you're a patron to put your phone on silent. Like that's not hard. But Phil's right, it is part of professional golf. And that's not why Phil really struggled yesterday. The course is really hard. And if you bet Phil to win the U.S. Open, I hope you just did it because you wanted to have a ticket and you wanted to say, well, what if lightning strikes twice? Just what if? Because if you put any real, if you put more than two figures down on Phil to win the Masters, you were donating to the bottom line of your local sports book. 
Phil Mickelson was not winning this, is not winning this golf tournament. He's 51 years old or 51 years to be 50. He's not winning this golf tournament. He won the PGA. It was a whole a bunch of things came together that allowed him to win the PGA. This is a U.S. Open. This is the tournament he's never won for a reason. His game doesn't fit the U.S. Open all that well. And at 50, it's not happening. I hope he makes the weekend. The broadcast networks are really hoping he makes the weekend. Now, Ryan Bollinger told us he thinks the projected cut's going to be four over par. It is currently two over par, but there is a long list of golfers who have not golfed, who have not teed off yet for their second round. So remember, it's only 1030 in the morning here on the West Coast. So it's still very early. And there's a lot of golf to be had. There's a lot of movement to be had. And players will come up and down this leaderboard over the course of the day. The current lead here is four under par. Two golfers are at four under. Richard Bland is three under on his round today. That's the low round going on the course. 70 yesterday, three under so far today, four under leading the tournament with Russell Henley, who has not teed off yet. Russell Henley will tee off a 103 Pacific time coming up. Louis Uhazen is at three under par, one over on the day. John Rahm is even par through eight. He's at two under. Same thing can be said for Brooks Kepka, who will tee off coming up at 114 Pacific time, along with Xander Shoffley at 136 Pacific time. I'm really curious to see what this course looks like over the weekend. I'm very curious to see how these golfers approach the rough and how do they handle the mental side of the game. On top of it, what about the knee injury for Brooks Kepka in a pre US Open media session Brooks Kepka couldn't walk without a noticeable limp and he had a tough time going upstairs and everyone in the golf world went uh-oh that knee does not look right for for Bryson or sorry for, for Brooks Kepka and what does he do going in the US Open does he have problems with the knee? Well, round one, 69. After round one, he told the world the knee is fine. Feels good. Uh, I felt great. My, my movement's as good as it's ever been. Uh, strength is, is just getting stronger and stronger every day. Uh, you know, it, It's not going to be anywhere near 100% for a while, but um, it's just creeping up uh, closer to that number every time. I mean, that's incredible. For him to say that he looks that he feels really good on the knee. He doesn't look like he's really good on the knee. Remember, at the PGA, he had the fan interaction that he thought that fans were going after the knee as they were all around him. He thought like fans were actually trying to target him and go after the knee and because they wanted Phil to win the PGA. And a guy who clearly has had a tough time just walking. And now yesterday plays really well. After the round, he comes out and he's like, yep, He's like, I'm good. He's like, the knee, the knee is really close to 100%. I'm good. Is that true? I don't think many people believe it, but John Rahm right now at the FanDuel Sportsbook is plus 600 to win the event. Brooks Kepka is plus 650, second on the board. Xander Shoffley at plus 750. Bryson DeChambeau at plus 850. Louis Oosthuizen is at 10 to 1. Roy McIlroy is an interesting number. He's 14-1 to 1 to win the tournament. It's, 
it's going to be interesting to watch his second round and then watch him to the weekend. A friend of mine who I, I often you know talk about his connections to the golf world, he he has his its ear down. And heading into this tournament, there was a lot of scuttlebutt about the work that Rory had been putting in. He had brought in a new coach. He's been focusing on some different parts of his game, and he is recommitting himself to winning a major. He wants it. He's focused to do it. He hasn't won one in seven years. Could he win the U.S. Open? Absolutely, he would win it this year. But where is he come the weekend? What, frankly, what does he do today? He played really well yesterday. What does he do coming up this weekend? Does he put himself in position to be a part of the conversation? Is he able to go out there and score? And do, he'll make the cut. He's even par right now. He's one over on the day. Shot a 70 yesterday, one under par. He's currently one over on his round as he makes the turn to the 10th. Does he finish strong? Can he put himself in position to be just off the pace and then move tomorrow and make a big score and a big splash to put himself right there to win the thing come Sunday? I think it's possible. And it may not be a bad idea right now at 14 to 1 to take a flyer on Rory to win this thing. I think he could be right there. I do still think John Rahm, the odds on favorite, is the is the guy to beat. But I love that Xander Shoffley is right there. And I mean, I've got tickets on Rahm and Shoffley in the top ten. I also have tickets on Xander, uh, sorry, on Finau and Morikawa which both those guys need to get on their horses here and get going three over and four over respectively for Finau and Morikawa. And all eyes right now are on the cut line, which is two. And whether we're going to see the weekend for guys like Jordan Spieth. If you remember, David Behrman of ESPN Chalk came on the show on Wednesday and I said, give me a flyer bet, give me a long shot wager. And he said, Jordan Spieth to miss the cut. Jordan shot six over yesterday. Not good. But Jordan is two under on the day so far today, and he's looking like a guy who might, well, he just made a bogey. He's one under on the day now, five over on the tournament. He's going to need to get going. If it's four over, he's got eight holes to go to get to four over, if that's going to be the projected cut line. Two over right now is the cut line, but, Ryan Bollinger believes that that's going to balloon by a couple of strokes and go to two over par. Xander Shoffley is a local guy. Xander Shoffley is a, you know, a golfer that everyone's been waiting for to get that big one. Yesterday, Xander Shoffley put himself in pretty good position. Again, I've got him in the top 10. Will he win it? I don't know, but Shoffley likes where he is right now. I felt ready to go on Monday, so... Uh, I, I played 64 holes last week. I felt prepared. I, you know, I saw my both my coaches, uh, my dad and Derek, and everything was good. And I think I told him on Tuesday, like I, I, I'm ready to go. Like we don't need to do anything else. So it was more so me staying patient, knowing that I'm playing good golf and just doing it. Yep. Let's go, local kid. You know Tory Pines. Let's go. PK PK goal, or is that old? Oh, uh, that that was in the first half. Oh, I thought we had another goal. In Croatia and Czech. Sorry, still 1-1 with Croatia and Czech Republic here in the 74th minute. Let's see if we can get that second goal to hit the over in the second half to keep that trend going of first half under one or less, second half two or more goals being scored for pool play. 
at Euro 2020. But I like Alexander. I do. I, I think he's going to be right there. I'm psyched. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. And look, th- I think this tournament comes Sunday is going to be awesome. I think we're going to have some really big names coming down the stretch. I think Xander Shoffley, I, I still am leaning towards him and John Rahm. Not discounting Brooks Kepka. I'm just not believing Brooks when he says his knee is close to 100%. I'm just not buying it. I, I, I don't know. Everyone was like, oh, that him, you know, that laboring up the stairs, that was Brooks just playing to the media. I don't know if that's what Brooks does. I don't think Brooks cares enough about the media to pull a farce like that and to act like he's hurt and act like, you know, he really, you know, he, he, the knee is bothering him more than it is. I think the knee is really bothering him. <laughs> I think the knee is really a problem, but I don't think that, you know, he could win this thing. He's won two of them already. I mean, the game is there. He was right there at the PGA, even with the bad knee. So I don't think you can scratch off Brooks's name and say, no, he's not going to win it. But I think John Rahm and Xander Shoffley are right there, and I can't wait to watch Shoffley play today to see what he does come Saturday. And then on Sunday, does he give himself a chance to win this thing? And he would love nothing less than to win this golf golf tournament. You know, this is one that everyone's been eyeballing for years going, wait a minute, Shoffley is from the area in San Diego, grew up playing Torrey Pines, U.S. Open, he's got a major on his home course. Let's see what Xander Shoffley can do. And Xander Shoffley is a, is a plus 750 right now, 7.5 to 1 to win the tournament. I don't hate a bet on that at all right now. And depending on how today goes, that might be the best odds you get on him for the rest of the tournament to win this thing. Plays well today. That number is going to come on down, and he could head to the weekend as the odds-on favorite to win this thing. I would That wouldn't shock me in the least. All right, next, Andrew McInnes, a Canadian fan, handicapper. We've had a lot of fun on Twitter back and forth. He joins us next. This is going to be a fun segment. Don't move here. I'm pushing the nuts. Expert perspectives and actionable insights 24 hours a day. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. So I got invited to come on to talk before the series between Montreal and Vegas. Suddenly, I'm like the spokesperson on Sports Grid Radio for the Vegas Golden Knights, but that's fine. I'm based here, and I, I am heavily leaning towards Vegas to win this series. I made the proclamation that Montreal would not win in Vegas because Colorado didn't win in Vegas. Clearly wrong. But the fallout from that victory has become a little crazy. Montreal's interim coach may not be there tonight. Vegas, again, a big favorite to win game three. Andrew McInnes was on with me with the the rager himself, Gabe Marenzi, and we <laughs> thought it might be fun to get Andrew McInnes on here on Pushing the Odds. Andrew, Matt Peral, how are you? Matt, thank you very much for having me, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on. I want to read you a tweet from Gabe, and I want to get your take on it. And I'm not asking you to speak for Gabe, but I want to see if you agree with this okay. statement. Because okay. you were all over me for saying that the crowd was going to be incredibly tough for Montreal, and Montreal won game two. They got smoked in game one, but they won game two. 
Gay right. wrote, I don't care about 18,000 fans in the building. It's just noise. The Bell Center will be a unique situation for Vegas players. Will be much more intense than Vegas. Players look up at the banners and retired numbers and realize this is the Mecca. Do you agree that laundry is going to be intimidating for, for, for our Vegas Golden Knights team? Uh, I, you know, Matt, I think that uh, I'm on a little bit of a different end than a lot of Montreal um, backers and fans. That I think history is a little bit of one thing, but I don't really, you know, I'm a young guy, first of all, Matt, right? Like, I mean, I haven't even seen the Montreal Canadiens win the Stanley Cup, or at least <laughs> I, was very, I was very young, you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm, I'm the last person that uses the whole we've won a lot of cups argument. To me, it's like my least favorite sports argument in the world because what does that have anything to do with the present or the future, really? What does that have anything to do with it? The players were different. The coaches were different. Um, does the team have history? Yes. You know, is it, is it, a, good, is it a you know, great building the plane? Yes. Are there less fans? Yes. Um, do I think it'll be, you know, very exciting? Absolutely. Um, but to answer your question uh, in long-winded terms, I'm kind of on a different end. I'm not really in the belief that, hey, you'll look up and see banners, and that will be intimidating. But, uh, you know, as I said to you last week, and, and uh, you know, I appreciate you having me on. Like I said, I, I don't think that just because it's a sellout crowd in Vegas and it isn't in Montreal, um, being on the road won't really feel anything too worse. It's still an away game. It's still, you know, travel to Canada. But I don't think that the history behind the team is intimidating. I would agree, because what has been won in the Bell Center? Everything that Montreal won was in the previous building, right? The Forum. Yeah, right? Everything was won in the Forum. Nothing's, the Bell Center's, nothing's been won in the Bell Center. So why is it going to be so intimidating? Just because the, That's like me saying that TD Garden is extremely tough to play in for the Boston Celtics because all the banners won at the Boston Garden are hanging at TD Garden. They've won one championship at TD Garden, it doesn't mean that the history or the ghosts, like, are you buying this that the ghosts of Montreal are going to lead their team to victory tonight? <laughs> no, Matt. Uh, you know, you know that uh, obviously we have different opinions on the matchup and the team, and I know how great Vegas is as well, but I think I have a lot more belief in the Canadians than many people do. But if the Canadians win, it's going to be because of uh, who they are and what they bring and, you know, playing quality defense, trying to shut down the top guys for the Vegas Golden Knights. But, I'm also not going to sit here and say there's zero home ice advantage, and I hope that you know you think at least a little bit that they're back at home. They got the split. They're playing in Canada. They're playing in a building they're comfortable in front of. And again, I know there's only 3,500 fans, and it's a sold-out arena in Vegas. But I think we'd be lying to ourselves if we didn't say that it's going to be impactful for them. You know, the North Division didn't have fans all year long, right? And when the Canadians were playing the Maple Leafs. And, you know, growing up in the east coast of Canada, uh, I've gotten lots of battles with friends and different people I see and meet, especially on here on Twitter, that are Leaf fans. And I don't think that, I think I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that uh, having the fans help. You know, the team won. Don't get me wrong. The players played the games. The goalie played the game. But having those 2,500 fans versus the Maple Leafs having zero, I think it was impactful. So I get it. You come from Vegas and say, you know, Vegas had a sold-out arena. But even though it's only 3,500, we get the last change. Yes. I think it's a big deal. I think it's yeah. a big deal. I think that whole last change argument, Matt, yep. a lot of uh, casual hockey fans I don't think are aware of rules like that. Um, you know, when you put your stick down on the face-off dot, yep. lots of people aren't aware of that. That rule changes 
when you go home. So it's not just a fan thing when you go home. Some of the rules are different. I totally agree. Those points, I give way more credence to 3,500 fans being in the building tonight or the ghost of the Bell Center or the ghost of the Canadiens. I don't care about that. The, the, The last change matters, in particular when you're trying to match lines and you're trying to take down the Vegas top two lines. And Montreal did that to both Toronto and Winnipeg, just was able to neutralize their top lines. So, yeah, I totally understand that take that, hey, Montreal's at home and they've got opportunities here to match up better. And look, the first 10 minutes of both games have been really bad for Vegas. If that happens again tonight, that's where you do have those those fans who can add a ton of jump and juice to the team because the first 10 minutes, Vegas was asleep both games. They didn't score game one for Montreal. They did score in game two. What do you make of who scores first tonight? How important is that? I think it's extremely important, and I don't think that the first goal really has as much to do with the fans as it does to the pace of the game. Um, what I'm about to say, I don't say this, you know, even just for the Montreal Canadiens. I say this for a lot of teams in the playoffs. I really don't think that the final score of a playoff game dictates exactly how a game went. And I'm going to use a soccer comparison. Um, you know, when you look at a soccer game, it can be nil-nil for the first 65, 70 minutes. And when that first goal is scored, the other team is forced to open things up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw you on Twitter kind of, uh, you know, a lot of it's been joking around, but a lot of it's been serious from, from both of us, and it's all in good fun. But talking about how Montreal was kind of playing very protective for the last 10, 15 minutes even of the game. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and deny you on that. And I know you were kind of using it as like kind of a jab, but it's true. You know, if Montreal gets a one-goal lead, they can stick to their game plan and play defensive. If you go yep. down to the Vegas goal at night, you have to open things up a lot more. And that's just a fact, you know. And, yeah. and I think that when you look at both these teams, um, stylistic aspect, the Vegas Golden Knights, if they go up, they're going to just continue to push that pace. If the Montreal Canadiens go up, um, they're going to keep doing those zone exits. If you notice, and I, I do believe that the layoff was more of a factor than I thought it would be, Matt, for the Montreal Canadiens, but I'm not going to use that as an excuse in game one. But – you have less time with the puck. Vegas does have four lines that are going to attack you and forecheck. Uh, can definitely respect the forecheck they have, just like the Habs. And I feel like if you notice in game two, the Habs were flipping it off the boards the second that they got it. They weren't even looking for outlet passes. If they weren't there, they're flipping it off the boards. But the game changes. When they go down one nothing or 2 nothing to the Vegas Golden Knights, first of all, having Marc-Andre Fleury and a talented defensive core like Vegas does, it's hard to stop. But... I think we can both agree, whether you're a fan of the whole, you know, I hate to use the word trap or clogging up neutral zone, but it's just a fact that the Canadians get that one or two goal lead, then they realize, okay, we have, you know, a great goaltender, a guy that's won 20 straight games, Matt, for the playoffs, the Montreal Canadiens, when his team gives them three goals. That's a pretty yeah. powerful stat. Sure, absolutely. And that's why Flurry can't give up goals like he gave up the third goal in game two. It was a that was a bad goal that Flurry gave up. Ultimately was the game winner. In the first ten minutes tonight, I think it's vitally important for Vegas to withstand the push because it's gonna be there. It's gonna be even I think even more aggressive now at home for Montreal in that, that first ten minutes. You can't give up a goal if you're Vegas, and you gotta score in the first ten minutes if you're Vegas and can kind of put some of the doubt in the minds 
of the Canadians that look, this is going to be a tough series. And much like what Toronto, sorry, what Tampa did yesterday to the Islanders, you get the get the lead and hopefully you ride your hot goaltender and you steal Game Three. But look, Chandler Stevenson not being on the ice was a bigger deal than I thought in Game Two. And it sounds like he's not playing tonight. Alex Tuck is skating at the morning skate today with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. So you're putting Tuck in the top line. Uh, what do you make of that? And what do you make of Stevenson not being there in the lack of depth that Vegas has with the center position? Well, I think, first of all, uh, to, to cover Alex Tuck, he is what I call a playoff gamer. I mean, this is a guy that belongs in the playoffs. This is a guy that... You you notice analysts and you know the guys talking these games all the time, bringing him up a lot more during the playoffs than you would during the regular season. And I always say that uh, if I was a chef, my recipe for the playoffs is physicality, depth of scoring, and goaltending. And Alex Tuck brings both the depth of scoring and the physicality. And now bumping him up there on the top line, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. It's either a great thing, you know, to bring that extra scoring touch, but also a little bit of physicality, or it's a bad thing, Matt, and you're kind of taking away something that he could have brought on a different line. So I'm curious how that really works out. Um, I think it definitely impacts it. And for Stevenson, he's a guy that doesn't get enough credit. You know, he's not really too flashy of a guy, someone that maintains possession, someone that's a great two-way player. And he kind of reminds me of, you know, I, I don't want to say as much because Philip Deneau isn't a scorer, but I think Philip Deneau is probably the least talked about player uh, for all Canadians. Getting some credit this year, Matt, in the playoffs, but what he does doesn't get really shown on the score sheet as much as just, you know, shutting teams down. Well, the thing that I'm curious about is that Alex Tuck is only about a 42-43% winner on faceoffs, and Vegas has got three goals directly off faceoffs here in this series. It's actually been the most potent weapon the offense has, which is concerning mm-hmm. to me because I think that's a high-variant type of goal to score consistently to get pucks back to the back line and get guys like Petrangelo to put pucks on net. So I'd much rather see Vegas be able to score against Carey Price without having him be screened or quick shots and catching him not looking tonight. I just think winning faceoffs tonight is going to be huge for Vegas. And what do you make of the defensive changes that Montreal might make to limit those scoring opportunities to faceoffs? Well, there's no secret that that play they're running off the faceoff has worked. You know, uh, we've seen it here uh, on television during the intermissions. They're breaking down that play, um, dropping the winger and sending that right defenseman or left defenseman down the line. It's worked. That's how Petrangelo scored two goals. So. Not just on off the faceoffs, but even off the rush. I mean, when you have a defenseman that can jump up um, and join the rush, all of a sudden you don't have three forwards anymore. You pretty much have four forwards, and it makes a huge difference. And Montreal didn't have to deal with that. With Toronto, didn't have to deal with that. With the Winnipeg Jets, each of those teams probably had one or two guys. The Vegas Golden Knights, Matt, have you know four guys that can do that, jump into the rush. So it's completely, it's, it's crucial. It shows that a lot of the forwards have to get back and back check. And that's kind of what worries me as, you know, a Montreal Canadiens fan and someone that has hopes for them to do well in the series is that the more time that they maintain in the deep end for the Vegas Golden Knights and behind the net, one little turnover and all of a sudden it's an odd man rush going the other way. So I think it's very crucial for the Vegas Golden Knights to keep having those, those defensemen jump into the rush, join them, and cause more havoc for Carey Price. Because as we've seen, anything that he can see, he's going to stop. But you get him screened, you get a shot from the point, you're going to score a goal on him. Totally agree. All right, what happens tonight? You on Montreal, you taking the plus money for the, for the home dog? 
It's going to be tough. It's a huge game. But, uh, you know, as far as betting-wise go, I would just continue to go under. Um, as far as the scoreboard goes, I'm going to go with my same prediction as last game, 3-2 Montreal. I think uh, game four might be similar to what we saw in Vegas where the away team gets back and ties it up. Andrew, good stuff, man. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Matt. My pleasure. Andrew McKinnis. At McKinnis Picks on Twitter to follow him. Vegas, game three tonight with Montreal. More on it next year. Pushing the odds. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Eight hundred four three zero zero seven five eight. Eight hundred four three zero zero seven five eight. Eight hundred four three zero zero seven five eight. That's eight hundred four three zero zero seven fifty. You are listening to Pushing the Odds live from Las Vegas. Here's Matt Peralt. That was a lot of fun with Andrew McKinnis. I really appreciate him coming on. He's been a good sport. We've been brawling back and forth, and some people just don't really understand. Like, I, I got people who were jumping in with Gabe and I. And, you know, look, Gabe is a fiery guy. He's a flamethrower. I'm a flamethrower. We're very similar. People are kind of, like, taken aback that I'm like, they're like, wow, like, you really went at Gabe. Like, what do you mean, like, I went at Gabe? Like, I've not gone at Gabe. I've had these conversations with him. I think he's nuts. He thinks I'm nuts. This is fun. This is what is enjoyable about doing talk radio. And him and I come from very similar schools. And it's fun to get after it. It's it's all in good nature. I would buy him a beer right now if Gabe Morenti was in front of me. I have absolutely no issue with him whatsoever. Same thing with Andrew. This is what makes sports fun. They're Canadian fans. I'm not. They think I'm a, a, a bandwagon Vegas Golden Knights fan, which is fine. As I've told them, I care more about my money than I do the Bruins and or the Vegas Golden Knights. And I've got a ticket on Vegas to win the Stanley Cup. So I want Vegas to get past this, and then I can turn around and hedge or do whatever I need to do when it comes to who Vegas is going to wind up playing in the next round of the Stanley Cup Finals. If they get past Montreal, they need to get past Montreal. All right? The only thing I bet tonight, I bet over one and a half goals here tonight. I think under is good, but the first 10 minutes of this hockey game I think both teams score tonight. I could have bet 1-1 after 1 and gotten plus 150 odds on that. But just in case Vegas comes out with their hair on fire tonight and scores two goals or vice versa, if the Canadiens come out with their hair on fire tonight and they score two goals quickly, that I'm just going to take it and say two goals over 1.5 at plus 120 is what I've bet. For the game tonight. That's my only play on it tonight. And I do think Andrew's right. I think talking about under tonight is a decent way to roll with it. That, you know, under five and a half is very, very possible. First game, 4-1. Second game, 3-2. This game could be 3-2 Montreal. Yep. That three is a key number. Vegas cannot allow more than two goals tonight on the game. Can't allow more than two goals. If they do, I don't think they win. Going to be a really good game. 
Enjoy the weekend if you're on Sports Grid. We'll talk to you on Monday. Sports Map, stick around. we got two more hours with you guys coming up next year. I'm pushing the odds. Lost in a sea of...